The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. Uh, with this being Mother's Day, I'd like to spend a little bit of time meditating on uh, some attributes of the virtuous woman in Scripture. Uh, I'm usually not a circumstantial preacher in the sense of preaching on Mother's on Mother's Day and Father's on Father's Day and, and those type things, but this is a special Mother's Day for us because this is Bethany's first Mother's Day, and we're kind of having the privilege of going through that journey together, and... Uh, I'm a little bit more sentimental this year. Uh, because of that, uh, we were talking this morning, looking back at the calendar, and it was actually May the 12th, today's May the 14th, but May the 12th of 2022, when we had uh, an appointment for a surgery to take care of the medical limitations that we were able to identify, and that surgery went well, and we had, were able to have some other medical procedures to help us out and elevating some percentages and one year removed from that you know the everything that was associated with that <clears throat> surgery and finding out that we had a situation where under the natural course of events we wouldn't be able to have children and now here we are a year removed from that 23 weeks pregnant <laughs> and just such a blessing uh, that's all we can say. It's just thank the Lord. It's unmerited favor. It's a grace uh, from the Lord, and we sure are thankful for that. So I guess I'm a little bit more sentimental this year. <laughs> uh, not just is it Bethany's first Mother's Day, but just the a reminder of God's blessing and His faithfulness, and and uh, and also just thinking about the blessing and the privilege that that I've had of my mother and my grandmothers and other people that have been in my life. And I hope that you can reflect on people in your life in the same way. And another reason I think it's beneficial for us to, to think about that is because the older I get, the more people I interact with, you realize, you know, I've just been blessed with such great people in the kingdom of God and in the church and in my family. And, and thankfully those who've been the same, uh, just about everyone in my family mostly has been in the church. And, uh, but the, you interact with people who Mother's Day and Father's Day are not really happy days for them. They, they haven't had the privilege of a good, godly, virtuous woman to, to nurture them, and they haven't had the blessing of a good, godly father to set a proper example. And, and when you meet people that don't have that and all of the, the scars and the trauma that happened at a young, young age, so many problems in adulthood, manifest because of those problems at a young age and you you see many people uh, that struggle with that and it's just so easy to take for granted the blessing of having a godly virtuous woman uh, because you didn't choose your mom god in his grace gave you that mother and uh, many people don't have that privilege so uh, I want us to 
maybe think about that a little bit this morning and really make our way to the New Testament. I'm going to start, I'm going to be cliche, I'm going to start in Proverbs 31 this morning, but I want to make our way to the New Testament and really look at Mary. Look at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and these godly, virtuous women that were really the most faithful disciples of Jesus Christ to a large degree um, at the cross and at his resurrection. And um, as we think about this and we think about the virtuous woman, but also these New Testament examples in the early church and in the early kingdom of God of these godly, virtuous women, women that are the backbone of the church. And I'll tell you, there's no new thing under the sun. That is true today in the kingdom of God as well, okay? The godly, faithful, virtuous women sisters are really the backbone and the glue that holds the church together, okay? And we need to make sure that we publicly acknowledge that. Um, This is true across... I'll speak for Primitive Baptist, can't necessarily speak across other denominations, but I believe this is true in just about every Primitive Baptist church. If you look at the roll books of churches, of Primitive Baptist churches, you will find that it is an overwhelming, typically, typically a 65 to 70 percent majority of sisters versus brothers in the roll book of just about any church. Guess what? We had a communion last week here at Macedonia, that percentage held. 65 to 70% were over here on the women's side and the rest were over here on the men's side because as a whole, women are just better than men. All the men in the, all the, men in the congregation can amen that, right? I mean, God, lo- you understand, right, that God created Adam as a unsinful man and he looked at him and said, man, that guy's going to need some help. He hadn't even fallen yet. <laughs> I mean, he hadn't even sinned yet. He was made in the image of God. He was made perfect. And he said, I got to get this guy a helpmeet, a helper that is suitable for him. Because even in an unfallen state, he looked at him. He's like, man, this, this guy needs some help. Okay. But I think we see this in the New Testament. We see this with <clears throat> the disciples. You know, God, God has ordained things in his church for men in a public way to be in a position of leadership. And there is certainly a, a place and a role for a teaching ministry and, and service for the, the backbone of the church, of those, those sisters in the kingdom of God. But even though uh, God has ordained that male leadership be in the positions in the church, what we find in the New Testament is that you have these apostles as a roller coaster. <laughs> they're up and they're down and they're, they're, they're excited and they're zealous and then they're moaning and, and down in the dumps the next day. But you want to know who you have as the consistent, steady, reliable backbone of the church the whole time? These godly sisters that are there the whole time. Okay? Think about Peter. Think about Peter. One minute, he's ready to whack off the servant of the high priest here. The next moment, he's denying Jesus because a lady asked him, a little little girl asked him if he knew Jesus. Okay, then he sees Jesus. You know, God make, Jesus makes a special visit to Peter and reaffirms him. He gives him the, uh, a later date, gives, gives him the blessing of, of reaffirming his love for him three times after he denied him three times. But he, he thinks he's zealous and, and thinks he's going to fight off all those uh, uh people that came to arrest Jesus, and then he's denying Jesus, going out and weeping bitter tears, then he sees Jesus, 
and uh, he, he believes on him, and then give him a little bit of time, what's he doing? Well, I'm going to fishing. You see, you see, like, the guys, I mean, he used them in the kingdom, right? I mean, they're zealous in their, and they're, they're strong in, the, in some settings, but they're men just like Elijah in the Old Testament, men of like passions who's calling down fire from heaven and killing all the false prophets and, and not afraid of Ahab at all. And then Jezebel threatens him, and a day later he's saying, Lord, take my life. It's not worth living anymore. That's how guys are, right? That's how men are. We're up and we're down and, and reliable and then, and then unreliable. But instead, the sisters are just steady, reliable, and faithful. And praise God for that. Because that's the reason why. That's the reason why the church is so strong in many ways. It's not because of us unreliable men. It's because of these faithful sisters, okay? Uh, so I want to hopefully not spend too much time in Proverbs 31, but I do want to read it for you. Proverbs 31, the, the description of the virtuous woman. And I think it's very important as we read here in Proverbs 31, uh, these verses that you know very well, I believe, uh, to always put them in the right context and understand that the first verse tells us, <clears throat> I guess, the, uh, the perspective and the attitude with which these words were delivered. These are not just abstract good admonitions. Uh, Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 1, the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Okay? Now he goes on to tell him here, uh, you're, you're in a position of authority, you're a leader, you're a king, you need to make sure that you are not deceived by wine and strong drink. You need to make sure if you do drink something, it needs to be in moderation and make sure that your senses are not impaired when you're making very important decisions. I mean, the king is, in that day, in the monarchy, he was the one who made the ultimate decisions. And you can't be influenced by an outside source. You have to have a clear mind when you're making these decisions. So everything here in uh, Proverbs 31, we don't know anything about King Lemuel. He doesn't appear to be a, uh, an Israelite king in the Old Testament. Uh, so we don't really know anything about him, but he was a king. He was a king. And he was in a position of authority. And the, the attributes of the virtuous woman are written from the perspective of a mother instructing her son that this is the kind of woman you need to be looking for. Okay? Because not only was he just a regular guy looking for a wife, but he was a king. And inevitably, when you're in a position of that authority and riches and prosperity that come along with that, there's going to be a lot of women throwing themselves at you because they want to be queen, right? There's going to be a lot of good-looking, bad women that are going to throw themselves at you because they want to be queen. Well, uh, one of the final admonitions she gives him is, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. There's going to be a lot of good-looking women that are going to try to throw themselves at you, and you need to make sure that you judge them based on their character, not based on their good looks. Okay? So this, these attributes of the virtuous woman here in Proverbs 31 is a mother instructing her son that this is the kind of woman that you need to be looking for. This is the kind of woman that you need to pursue. <clears throat> Proverbs 31, verse 10. And they're hard to find. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. 
She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. Is like a merchant ship. She bringeth her food from afar. Hardworking, diligent. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens, willing to work hard and sacrifice for the benefit of her family. She is prudent in financial matters. She considereth the field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands. She planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, and for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sitteth among the elders of the land, she maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children, this is where... You know, when you've invested in these kids for many times and then they do come back on Mother's Day <laughs> and tell, tell you how much they appreciate you and they love you. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. The attributes of a virtuous woman. Now, I'd like to go to First uh, Peter chapter three to uh, look briefly at what I believe to be the New Testament equivalent of that. First Peter chapter three, verse one. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of plating of the hair and wearing of gold and putting on of apparel there's not necessarily anything wrong with makeup and jewelry but real beauty is not uh, artificial it's not something you put on instead true beauty in the eyes of God and as King Lemuel's mother instructed him and should be the case for us as well we should view true beauty the same way that God views it, which here, true beauty in the eyes of God, which should be in our eyes as well, let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. That's what God highly values. Uh, we'll skip to verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Heirs together of the grace of life. I love that beautiful depiction of a godly 
marriage, when you're both pursuing the same uh, goals and you're both loving the Lord to the best of your ability and serving together in the kingdom of God, being as Aquila and Priscilla and serving together in the kingdom of God, it's a beautiful thing to live out and it's a beautiful thing to see. Heirs together of the grace of life. Heirs together of the grace of life. I'd like to spend the rest of our time looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and again, these godly, reliable, faithful sisters that really showed up. The cream rose to the top, if you will, in the most important moments, arguably in the history of the world, in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know who was there? It was not the disciples. There was one. John was there. But it was not the disciples. It was the faithful sisters that were there. Let's look at Mary. Um, let's go to the Gospel of Luke to look at a few things uh, earlier on surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. And as you're turning there, I just wanted you to think together with me. Just what an amazing commendation. What an amazing badge of honor that of all the women in the entire history of the world that God chose Mary to be the woman that brought his son into this world. I want you to think about that for a minute. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, Mary was a sinner. Um, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit gave her clarity of that. But every now and then, as she pondered things in her heart that mentioned quite a few different times in Scripture that we want to highlight, when she did that, when she pondered in her heart and she you know, looked at Jesus, this perfect kid who never backtalked, who never made any mistakes, and she, she sees this perfect kid and she just meditates on all that. And to, to think about the fact that God chose me, God chose her to be the person to be the mother of his son in this world. You know, I hope if we are faithful to serve the Lord and put the kingdom first, that every now and then the Lord gives you that testimony of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know? And that's what it's all about. You know, it's not about accolades, it's not about people people thinking that you've done good things in the kingdom. Actually, especially when we talk about the sisters, uh, much of it is much of it is unseen. Much of it is unseen, but not to the Lord. The Lord sees every every uh, Midnight changing of the diapers and all the little things that nobody else sees. The Lord sees all that. And the Lord is honored by that. But much of our service to the Lord, I want you to make sure that we understand this. Most of, most of our service to the Lord is not out in public that people see it. Most of it is in our closet. Most of it is in private. And the Lord sees all that. And every now and then, Every now and then, maybe you've made a sacrifice for the kingdom. I made a hard decision, and it was very difficult for me to do that. And, and I, I was personally uncomfortable. I was personally injured. But you know what? I was willing to do that for the benefit of somebody else, whatever the case is. Every now and then, the Holy Spirit of God will testimony, testify to your inner man, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's what it's all about. It's about the the honor 
and the blessing of knowing that the king is happy. The king is happy with what we've tried to do. And in those moments, I can only imagine just the amazing humility and um, feeling so inadequate, but the amazing blessing of the Holy Spirit for her to think every now and then that God chose me. God chose me to be the person. God viewed me despite all my shortcomings. And no doubt Mary was able to see her shortcomings very clearly. As I, I can see my shortcomings very clearly many times. But God chose her to be the person, to be the mother of his son. And to think that God thought that highly of her. Uh, you know, I meditate about that sometimes and God calling me to the ministry. Why would he entrust someone who is so unreliable to be a steward of the mysteries of God? You know, that, that seems like a poor decision from God. To, to entrust with the only option he has is earthen vessels. <laughs> the only option he has is sinner. You know, the only, only option he has is people that are unreliable and, and uh, that are just broken earthen vessels. And I think about that every now and then when I think about the fact that God called me to preach and he entrusted me with, he looked at me and said, you know what, I got confidence in him. I've got confidence in him that I'm going to entrust this to him and he's going to be a faithful steward. And that's, that's, so, that's so humbling to think about the fact that God viewed me that way. But, boy, you multiply that times who knows what. That God chose her. God chose her to be the, the person that would fill the role of mother for his beloved son here in this world. What an amazing blessing that the, when the Spirit of God testified to her spirit that God chose you. No doubt she was a virtuous woman for God to have chosen her to raise his son. Um, in Luke chapter 1, you have a very detailed account of the, uh, the conception of John the Baptist with Elizabeth and Zacharias. Um, we, we won't take time to read this, but the angel comes here and, and, um, and appears to Mary, tells her, and again, I'm sure all of this was difficult to process uh you know i i haven't known a man there's no way i can have a child you're telling me the holy spirit's going to conceive in me it's all very confusing and then she goes and she visits her and sometime between when that angel came and when she visited uh her cousin elizabeth then she had conceived by that point and then we have the example of john the baptist leaping in his mother's womb for joy at the salutation of mary then you have uh Mary's, what's known as Mary's Magnificent, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. My soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Uh, for the sake of time, we'll just kind of go ahead and skip through uh, uh, Luke chapter 2. You have the birth of Jesus Christ uh, there in the manger. Then you have the shepherds who are out keeping, uh, flock, uh, keeping their flocks by night. And then you have these, these angels come. This is uh, Luke chapter 2. And uh, the angels come and say, Fear not, verse 10, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And you're going to go and find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. And then suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, 
and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And then those, those shepherds go and they, they find the baby Jesus. And then that, no doubt they told them about what they saw, right? I mean, these shepherds show up and, and they tell Mary that we saw these angels. And they say, fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And then we saw this. Not just a couple angels. We saw the multitude of angels saying glory to God in the highest and on, on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. And, and she's just finished labor, right? I mean, she just had a, had a baby. Then you have these angels, uh, these shepherds coming and saying they heard all these angels. And I'm sure it was just difficult to take all that in. And it says right here in verse 19, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. From time to time, she would think back about, you know, as, as we do, right? Think back about the birth of her child and all these significant events. And, and she, she pondered these things in her heart. She meditated on the, the amazing circumstances surrounding this and what, what the testimony of these shepherds and these angels were. Okay, now we go and Jesus is being circumcised. Eight days, he goes into the temple according to the law. You have uh, Simeon uh, that gives this, this prophecy. He holds this child uh, the Lord had told him that he was not going to see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. He holds up this child, and this is what he says in Luke chapter 2 and in verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. And in parentheses here, he, he says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What do you think about that? Eight days old, all of the elation of this newborn baby, but even in that early time period, the Holy Spirit speaking through Simeon here was reminding Mary that there's going to come a time, and remember this when we get, make our way to the cross, there's going to come a time where your heart's going to be broken more than any mother's heart has ever been broken. Okay? A sword is going to pierce through your own soul. And the Lord is preparing her for that. She, you know, Jesus uh, knew that his time was coming, and he said that consistently throughout his ministry. And, and you know, he would say, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be... Uh, betrayed of the scribes and the Pharisees. I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to be raised again the third day. And the, the disciples, you know, Peter rebuked him and said, no, absolutely not. And then that's when Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, right? But the disciples, every time he brought up his death and crucifixion, they were always like, absolutely not. No, we, we, we reject that. But how do you think Mary felt when he kept making those prophecies, right? consistently he was telling them I'm going to be killed I'm going to be killed and she'd been told that since he was a baby you know how would you feel as a mother if, if you knew that your child was going going to she didn't, you don't know the exact date you know she didn't necessarily know he was on a three and a half year time clock but I know that my son is telling me that he's going to be falsely accused and killed just a few years coming up. She had that looming over her for years. And that pier that sword that would pierce through her own soul, she was being reminded of that even as Jesus was an eight-day-year-old <clears throat> eight baby. So now Anna has this beautiful testimony 
uh, as well. Then we skip forward to uh, when Jesus is 12 years old. And they go back to Jerusalem for the Passover, and then they find him, they lose him, and then they finally go back, and they, they find him, and he's there um, with the doctors of the law, hearing them and asking questions, and they say, uh, verse 48, Son, why hast thou done, uh, how <clears throat> son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing, and he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. They went down, verse 51, went down uh, with them and came to Nazareth, and he was subject unto them. He was subject unto his parents, subject particularly unto his mother. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. The birth of Jesus, where you have this, you know, this testimony of uh, good tidings of great joy, uh, the probably terrifying statement of Simeon that a sword is going to pass through your own soul. Then you have him going and him teaching almost in an authoritative way at, at age 12 and making these references to being about my father's business. And she pondered all these things in her heart. She pondered all these things in her heart. Then came a time where uh, Jesus' ministry, public ministry began uh, at the age of 30. And we won't turn to John chapter 2, but uh, there at his first miracle in the wedding in Cana, you know, she had knowledge about Jesus Christ that the public had not seen yet, okay? There were some people that uh, were around John the Baptist that he pointed him out and said, Behold the Lamb of God. He had a couple of disciples at that point, but they had not seen him do any miracles at that point, miracles that uh, testified to his deity. But, but Mary had seen something not just something, but things all throughout the years that, and she meditated on them, she pondered on them. And when it came time for Jesus to perform that, per, that first miracle, and they're there at that wedding, and servants go to her and say, we're out, of, we're out of wine, the first thing she did was she went, she told Jesus about it. And then she told the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Because she had seen, not only has she been testified that uh, everybody else may not have understood it. Uh, Elizabeth did uh, because she had a testimony that the mother of my Lord, so Elizabeth knew about it, but I don't know how many people really knew at that point that this was God. This was God manifest in the flesh. And Mary did know that. And her first response is, we got a problem? Take it literally to God, right? Take it to Jesus Christ. And then he performed his first miracle there in the wedding of Canaan. Okay, now let's fast forward all the way, all the way to the, uh, the betrayal, the, uh, the arrest, the mockery trials of Jesus Christ. And now they are on the cross. Let's go to John chapter 19. <clears throat> John chapter 19. You know, Peter is a very vocal disciple, obviously, and he uh, said, Lord, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be with you to the death. I'm never going to forsake you. But all the disciples said that. Uh, Peter is focused on in the Gospels for a reason. 
uh, to show restoration, uh, that he denied him three times, and then the Lord blessed him to confess him three times, and then he was used mightily on the day of Pentecost, and particularly in opening the door of the gospel to the Gentiles and Cornelius. So uh, there's a reason why the Holy Spirit zooms in on Peter, okay? But every single one of the disciples said, absolutely, we will never leave you or forsake you, you know? Uh, I feel like many of them probably followed Peter's lead. Peter may have been the one that that actually cut off the ear of the high priest's servant, but I bet the rest of them had swords too. Uh, They were ready to fight too. And you know what happened? All of them ran away. Every one of the people that God chose, right? God chose these men. And they were going to do mighty things. They already had. And we're going to do mighty things in the kingdom. But these men, these disciples, they left. They left. Now, John eventually came back. John eventually came back. But of those 11 disciples that remained, there was only one of them at the foot of the cross. But depending on how you count, there were... Yeah, and then you have you have people that are specifically identified, but then you said you have verses that say and many other women, so we don't have an exact group. But you had this group of faithful sisters that they were there at the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples weren't there to be found, all except for John, who eventually came back. But these faithful sisters were there at the foot of the cross. John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, Mary. This was when the sword was piercing through her own soul. Stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. Depending on how you read that, you could either say four or three people. To me, the ands kind of separate the distinct people, you could say that his mother's sister is a separate person, and then Mary, the wife of Cleophas, is a separate person. I tend to think that is saying that his mother's sister is Mary, the wife of Cleophas. So I would say that's three people there. Uh, Side note to this, uh, it says Mary's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas. It seemed a little odd to name. Mary is a very prominent name in uh, first century Judea, by the way. But it would seem a little odd to literally name two sisters both Mary, right? That'd get confusing. Um, So many times in Scripture when you see sister, brother, uh, father, those type things, the Bible truly does treat marriage as a one-flesh union. So sometimes when it says sister, it can mean sister-in-law, father-in-law, etc. So that's a possibility. Uh, It's not really relevant, but... Um, there's a decent chance, possibly, that this is Mary's sister-in-law, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, which would then make Cleophas the uh, brother of either Mary or formerly of Joseph. Joseph, apparently, uh, Scripture doesn't highlight this, but apparently he would have passed away prior, sometime after age 12 and before this age, at age 33, uh, because he's not mentioned after age 12 in the life of Jesus. And I believe Mary is a, is a widow indeed at this point. Uh, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, which by the way, uh, I tend to think that's the same Cleophas. It's, uh, there's an H here in John, and there's not an H in Luke. Luke's account of the two on the road to Emmaus, 
but it sure seems to me there's not a lot of Cleophas. There's only two references to a Cleophas in Scripture, and it seems like they would both be the same person. But if that's the case, if that's the case, boy, doesn't this add a lot more significance to those two people on the road to Emmaus? That it wasn't just random people. This was, if that was Cleophas, and I think uh, definitely was, one of them was Cleophas, and I think the assumption would be that the other one was Cleophas' wife. Okay? So if that's the case, if you'll bear with me a little in my folly, if you will, if that's the case, boy, doesn't that add a lot more significance to them saying, well, we hope that he was the one that had delivered Israel. This, this is his aunt and uncle. And, and the wife had been sitting there at the foot of the cross. And a couple days later, they're saying, well, it's the third day. We hoped he was going to be resurrected. We ain't seen him yet. And he's standing right there in front of them. <laughs> Their eyes were holding because of unbelief. But who's there at the foot of the cross? Obviously, the mother is, right? I mean, uh, I guess people have a different perspective, you know, say if someone uh, has a death penalty or uh, commits an offense where they have a capital murder, some people would want to be there and some people don't. But uh, the mother, even if it's excruciating, I want to be there with him. And it's not specifically highlighted, but I think it's safe to assume that they were there witnessing the trials as well. The mother of Jesus and then her mother's sister, maybe her sister-in-law, and then Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was there at the foot of the cross. <clears throat> and then we have, uh, let's go to, we're going to come back, we're going to come back here. So keep your finger there. Let's go to Matthew, Matthew 27. And um, this picks up a little bit after Jesus has already given up the ghost. Uh, after the centurion has already made the confession uh, that this was the Son of God, after the veil of the temple's already been twain, and then this this picks up in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 55, and many women were there beholding afar off. Now, I don't believe that's a contradiction. I simply think that uh, obviously at this earlier juncture, uh, Mary Magdalene was there with Mary. And then after Jesus gave up the ghost, they were intending to go and anoint the body. She made her way, and the rest of the women, I think, made their way from the foot of the cross to now going to prepare spices to anoint the body of Jesus Christ. Okay, But I believe that probably these were the, the people that were there with Mary. Those three are specifically highlighted in the Gospel of John. But I think these are the women that were there at the foot of the cross with Mary the mother of Jesus, and then when Jesus gave up the ghost, some of them left to go and prepare spices to go anoint the body of Jesus. And I think you can, possibly, they intended to anoint him that day, but Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus beat him to it, okay? Uh, that they ended up anointing the body of Jesus and preparing him for his burial. Okay, Matthew 27, verse 55. And many women were there beholding afar off. Now there's a few that are highlighted, four or five that are highlighted, but there was Many, the Bible calls them many, faithful sisters that were right there at the foot of the cross, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. That's who's described as the other Mary. Uh, I think minimum, we won't take time to line them out for you, but at a minimum, that was at least four Marys <laughs> uh, in this setting, okay? 
Uh, and then you have the mother of Zebedee's children. There's a reference in one of the Gospels to Salome. And the assumption would be, they may be separate, but I think Salome is probably uh, James and John. Remember James and John were the sons of Zebedee? This is their mom. So she was right there with them, most likely. So these are mentioned as, as leaving the foot of the cross to go and to take care of some things to probably anoint the body of Jesus. But I think these women, I think these women were the ones that were right there at the foot of the cross with Mary. Okay, so now let's go back. <clears throat> now let's go back to John 19, okay? John 19. So you have Mary, the mother of Jesus. You have Mary, the wife of Cleophas. You have Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and you have Mary Magdalene. That's the four. And by the way, many other women, I bet there's a decent chance that Mary and Martha, the uh, sisters of Lazarus, were there. And if that's the case, there's at least five Marys there. I, 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 I just bet that Mary and Martha, that they were there. So if that's the case, possibly five Marys that were there. You could tell how prevalent, obviously, the name Mary was in first century Judea. But you have this intimate moment right here. Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved. That's John. John, the son of Zebedee. Now his mom's there. Salome, she's there. You know, where are the rest of the 11 disciples? You got, let's just say there's 10 women there. Maybe more, but let's say there's 10 women. Where are the rest of the disciples? They're off scared. But who's there? These faithful sisters. And you want to know, yes, they're there. Yes, they are there to honor him, but you want to know who they're there for? They're there for Mary, right? That's why we have a funeral. We, we, we have a funeral not to, especially as if they've exhibited that they're a child of God, we, we don't have a funeral uh, just so we can cry together. It is to provide the hope of the resurrection, but mainly it's to minister. It's so you could be there to be a blessing to the family members that are grieving. And you want to know what those sisters did? They galvanized. Now, they all love Jesus, right? But can you imagine? I, I, I bet there's a there's no person that had ever felt. You want to talk about the death of a son. I, I doubt there is anyone that has felt more natural pain and grief than not just a, a, her son dying, but seeing a, her innocent son slain by wicked men and seeing him suffering in the way that he did, I don't think anyone's soul has ever been pierced the way that Mary's was and having to watch. So you want to know what those sisters did? Yes, they were. We're so, so we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe He's the Son of God. But they were there for Mary. They were there to minister to Mary. And I'll tell you, women are just sisters are so much more attentive to that kind of thing. Praise God than us dense men are that they go and they minister to people when they have broken hearts they galvanize around them and these sisters were there but john was there john the apostle of love was there and he says to john well to mary first woman behold thy son and then he says to john behold thy mother and from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. In um, 
First Timothy chapter 5, we have the description and the command of a widow indeed. And from the presumption that Joseph has passed away at this time period, Mary is certainly a widow indeed. And Jesus, no doubt, cared for his mother as he was commanded to. But now, part of the responsibility of a man and part of the responsibility of a husband is to provide for your family, to provide not just for your wife and for your kids, you have that responsibility, but you have a responsibility to provide for your family members, especially your mother, if they're not able to care for themselves. And Jesus was about to die. He was about to go back to heaven. And he's in charge of you know, the ravens and the lilies, and he, he, he takes care of all of them. But in a natural sense, he wanted to ensure that his mother was taken care of. And here, the widow indeed, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 3, Honor widows that are widows indeed. If any widow have, excuse me, if any widow have children or nephews, and that uh, alternate wording for the uh, King James in your center column reference, if you haven't had that, the alternate wording for nephews is grandchildren. Okay? So grandkids count. Okay? Nephews. Grand- if they sacrificed for your benefit to care for you when you couldn't care for yourself. Okay? If any widow have children or nephews or grandchildren, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents for it is good and acceptable for the Lord. Now who meets the definition of a widow indeed? She is a now widow indeed and desolate and trusteth in God and continueth in supplication and prayers night and day. No doubt she's a virtuous woman, has displayed that throughout her life. But it is the responsibility of children, grandchildren, uh, nephews. I know I have uh, my my mom uh, had an aunt that never married, and she cared for her finances and, and, and other things when she got Alzheimer's. I have an aunt that's never married, and and it's our responsibility to care for those that have cared for us when they couldn't care for for, the, uh, for yourself. And you know what? It is a sacrifice to do that. But you know what? They were willing to make that sacrifice for you when you couldn't care for yourself. The least you could do is show the same love that they showed to you 40 years ago. You now have the privilege, not the duty. I mean, it is a duty. It's a responsibility. I mean, you're, you're disobeying the Word of God if you neglect it. But... It's a privilege to show the same love to them that they showed to you when you couldn't care for yourself, you know? If it reaches the point where they can't feed themselves, guess what? Those are times you couldn't feed yourself. <laughs> Is it expensive? Yeah, you were expensive. You know, they spent a lot of money on you. <laughs> now, I understand there, there may come a point where physically you're not able to help them, but I'll tell you, I've seen way too many people say, oh, my, my parents have problems. I'm just going to find them a home. And there may come a point where they can't phys- you can't physically care for their needs, but that should not be your first option. That should be your absolute last resort because you have a duty, a duty to care for those that have cared for you. And Jesus, the Son of God, is about to go back to heaven, and he made sure his mama was taken care of. And John, the apostle, he took on that responsibility willingly and joyfully. From that day, he took her into his home. By the way, side note, he didn't just say, take care of her. He said, this is your mama now. This is your mother. Behold thy mother. 
And he had a responsibility, a direct command from the Son of God to take care of who, he, uh, who was now his mother. And you remember the old admonition in the Old Testament, honor thy father and thy mother. And if, if you do, your days will be long upon the earth. You know the only disciple that didn't suffer martyrdom, the only, suffer, the only disciple that died in an old age on the Isle of Patmos is an old man. You want to know the only disciple? John. John. And I think a significant amount of that is because he was, by the way, side note, <laughs> the, the apostles were always arguing about which of them was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, right? Uh, it's kind of interesting. The mother of Zebedee's children is here at the foot of the cross. Uh, James and John got their mama involved in trying to get Jesus on their side, right? So they could be the, the uh, vice president, the important, important person in the kingdom. I think we can make a very strong case that John was the greatest in the kingdom because he was there. He was there at the foot of the cross. Everybody else fled. He took care. Jesus chose him. Jesus chose him to care for his mother. And then by the end of it, he, because he was faithful to honor Mary, his commanded mother, if you will, uh, he, he lived a long life and is the only one of the disciples that did not suffer martyrdom. I think we can make a strong case in hindsight that John was the greatest of the disciples. But, and one of the main reasons, this is a bigger topic uh, than we really have time to consider, but uh, if, if you think about the talents, uh, God gives you talents and you hopefully use those talents to honor the Lord. Uh, but then there's a, a different parable in one of the other Gospels. That one's in Matthew, but the other gospel that says that um, if you're faithful with the pounds, I believe maybe, that I will give you authority. You're faithful with this that I gave you. I'm going to give you authority over ten cities. Okay. I think it's interesting that John was the only one that was faithful enough to be there at the foot of the cross. And look how the Lord rewarded his faithfulness by giving him not just this duty, but this amazing privilege to care for his mother. See that? That he was faithful to be the only one there at the foot of the cross, and he was the one that he, because he proved himself faithful, I'm going to entrust you with the care of Mary, my mother. Okay, now, make our way to the resurrection. The resurrection. Who was it that made their way to the tomb of Jesus, first of all Mary and uh, Mary Magdalene, and then Mary the mother of, G of James and Joseph uh, who's described as the other Mary they saw where Joseph of Arimathea and, and Nicodemus, they saw where they put him they saw the tomb, okay and then they went back and they told the other sisters and they were preparing the spices and the, and the ointments to go and anoint the body of Jesus and as we think about these faithful sisters, I really just want you to wonder, where were the disciples in all this, right? I tell you, they weren't there. They weren't at the foot of the cross. They were not there at the break of dawn to go and try to anoint the body of Jesus. And then, not only that, Mary Magdalene sees the resurrected Jesus Christ. She goes back and tells them, and they believe that it was just idle tales. They didn't believe it. Until Jesus appeared. You know, they weren't... Uh, they weren't willing to trust in Jesus Christ's resurrection by faith. They had to see him first. But 
the first people, the first person, by the way, that Jesus appeared to was Mary Magdalene. We don't have time to go through this, but this is in John chapter 20. And Mary Magdalene is the first person out of whom the Lord had cast seven devils. And who is it that God chose to be the first people to preach his gospel? Now, understand, understand God has ordained in his church that those that are in a position of leadership to be called uh, to preach in a public way, not, not individual witness and testimony, but to preach in a public way in leadership in the church, God has ordained for them to be the husband of one wife and, and to be a male. But you want to know the very first person that he entrusted with his gospel to go preach it and tell it to the rest of the church? Mary Magdalene. That was the very first person that he entrusted with the gospel. And she faithfully preached it. And the disciples didn't believe her. <coughs> they didn't believe her. Um, that is, an, first of all, an amazing... We'll talk about the Lord having confidence in people. Having confidence in John. Confidence in Mary, his, his mother. Uh, what amazing confidence the Lord had in Mary Magdalene, right? That the Lord had cast seven devils out of her. Um, and followed him faithfully during his ministry, but he entrusted the first gospel message, he entrusted it with her to go preach it. This is one more testimony of how the Bible is not, is not a fabrication. Uh, because if you were going to come up with a conspiracy to try to convince people that this man was God, that he was resurrected, uh, it's just an unfortunate reality that in that culture at that time, and even in the Middle East today, that women were second-class citizens. If you had a court of law and they were having testimony in a legal proceeding, uh, a, women, a woman wouldn't even have the ability to testify in a legal way in a Jewish legal proceeding during that time. There's no, no entity that's done more for the elevation and the equality of, of women and sisters in the church. The church puts them on the same plane, either Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond or free, right? Puts them on the same plane. But if you're going to come up with a conspiracy, the first people that are going to be the eyewitnesses, you're not going to pick women, right? You want to know who you're also not going to pick? You're not going to fit, pick uh, unlearned and ignorant fishermen, right? No, you're gonna, if you're gonna come up with a conspiracy, you're gonna try to turn some highly esteemed member of the community. The problem was they were all, you know, corrupt, <laughs> whited sepulchers, right? Uh, but this is not the people that you would have picked to perpetuate a conspiracy. It wasn't unlearned and ignorant men that were fishermen, and it certainly wasn't sisters. But this is who the Lord entrusted be the first witnesses of his resurrection. And by the way, you want to know why? I tell you, to whom much is given, much is required, but the Lord honors faithfulness. The Lord honors faithfulness. You want to know why? Uh, you want to know the main reason? If you'll let me, you know, put it like that or make some assumptions. You want to know the main reason why the Lord entrusted uh, John to care for his mother? Is because he was there. Right? <laughs> I mean, he was there. He was faithful. He was the only one that was there. Mary Magdalene was there at every step of the way. We didn't read there in uh, Luke chapter 8. She specifically highlighted with Joanna. I didn't highlight her. She was one of the people there. 
uh, at the resurrection of Jesus. When she was mentioned with Joanna and Susanna as those that ministered to Jesus and cared for his ministry, she proved herself faithful during that whole three and a half year time period. <coughs> and because of that, she was faithful to be at his trial. She was faithful to be at the foot of the cross. She saw where the tomb was. She went to anoint his body uh, on the first day of the week. She was there at every single step of the way. And you want to know what the Lord did? He, he rewarded that. By the way, beautiful, intimate. We don't have time to read that there, but she's, she's weeping. She thinks they've stole the body. And then she thinks that Jesus is the gardener. And then he just simply says unto her, Mary. <laughs> Mary. And that's when her eyes were opened. And she said, Jesus, my Lord and my God. These faithful sisters. We see this exhibited. And we, uh, by the way, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other women are specifically highlighted there in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 in being in the upper room when they were choosing of that other disciple. They weren't just there during the cross and in the resurrection, but when the church was in that early infancy stages, who was there? These faithful, godly, virtuous, reliable, steadfast sisters, right? <laughs> Even when the, the men, leaders, weren't doing what they were supposed to do, they were reliable and faithful. And praise God that the Lord has given us the same reliable, faithful, virtuous sisters in the kingdom of God ever since that first century that have been the backbone of the church. Praise God for that. And uh, go and if you have been blessed with a good, godly, virtuous woman, uh, if you can, go hug her today. Hug her, call her. Let her know what a blessing she is to you. But ultimately, thank the Lord. Because that's an unmerited favor, right? I mean, the Lord chose us to be put into the family by nothing more <clears throat> than his unmerited favor and grace, right? We didn't choose our parents. But God blessed us with that. And we want to make sure that we honor him, but also thank those that have been faithful and diligent, especially on this, this special day. Of Mother's Day. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10:30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.